If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 19 today, but we're going to start off in the 33rd verse of chapter 18. I pray this will encourage you as the king is coming to be faithful in the Lord. I hope to do my best. I believe I will. A little Colin passed by and embraced me and said, good luck today. <laughs> so uh, I think if I, with that blessing, I'll hopefully do well. The rebellion of Absalom is over. It has resulted in a great tragedy. 20,000 men of Israel have been killed. Absalom, the king's son, who led the rebellion, who hated his father, but was very much loved by his father, was killed by Joab, the ruthless man. We're not finished with Joab. We're going to see Joab... He, uh, he, he goes way up into 1 Kings, and we're going to have to deal with him. But David weeps and mourns Absalom's death. And in verse 33 of chapter 18, And the king was much moved when he found out about Absalom's death. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he thus said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God that I died for thee, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And then David being overcome by grief, he's, he's possessed by his grief. Something terrible happens. I, uh, this is awful. But let's read it together. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weeps and mourns for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people, for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got up by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. The victorious men fled uh, went, went with their heads hung low as if they had been cowards on the battlefield, although a great victory had been won. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house of the king and said... Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved your life, and the lives of your sons and your daughters, and the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. In thou, thou love, you love your enemies and hate your friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and we all had died this day, then it would have pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, they will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that has befell you from thy youth unto now. David, you think you've had it rough. If you don't get past this grief, it's going to be a whole lot worse than anything you've ever dealt with. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king sits in the gate, and all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. So David is overcome by his grief, and Joab hears about it. It is a strange predicament. And we learn a lot about grief and dealing with grief. But there's also something unique here. David was the king of Israel. He was a leader. 
He had responsibilities that nobody else had. And while Joab, well, Joab says, we, we've got to get this fixed. We, we've, got to, we've got to gather this army together and keep them together or we're going to have problems. And so he has to go to David. But instead of comforting David, he confronts David. And he speaks in ways that you and I would never speak to a grieving soul. I think that Joab's motive may have been right, but his method was all wrong. But it does bring David to his senses. And it does bring David to the right frame of mind. He, he, he cannot grieve like that right now. He, he's got to pull his army together. He, he's got to compliment them because, as Joab said, they think, boy, if David, if Absalom had died and I had lived and I had died, David would be happy. And, and things are getting out of hand. Well, whatever lessons we learn from that, I'm going to let you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit teach you that tomorrow morning in your quiet time if you want to. But what I'm going to say is, is the king is now on his way back to Jerusalem. He's on his way to take the throne. The king is coming. And he's coming with a broken heart. He's broken over the lostness of his son Absalom. Let me ask you, don't we have a king who's coming back to Jerusalem? Who is broken and burdened over the lost? Yes, we do. And... Jesus was the man of sorrows, just like David was a man of sorrows in this text. What we're going to do in the remaining time of this chapter is we're going to look at four different people who are going to meet the king when he comes back. We're going to see four different people. And um, we're going to read through this uh, chapter and we're going to learn some insights. I pray it will bless you and encourage you and edify you. And if, you, if you're anything like me, you need a little rebuke. And maybe it will do a little rebuking. Amen? But let's just see Excuse me, what is said here. Five people anticipating the king's return. First of all, there are the people who have received his forgiveness. There's the people who have received his forgiveness. Now... Let me remind you, when Absalom blew the trumpet and the rebellion of Absalom began, he marches into Jerusalem and the elders of Judah, the very elders, the government leaders of Judah, who once, years prior, anointed David as their king, they all of a sudden switch and make Absalom king while David's on the run. Now, it's null and void because God says, nope, that won't fly. But these same elders, and now Absalom is defeated and he's dead, and the king is coming back. And there, wouldn't you be nervous? I would be very nervous. I would be wondering. And, and as a result, there's some conflict in the whole kingdom. And let's read about it beginning in verse 9. And all the people were at strife throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. And now when this Absalom shows up, his own son, he flees. And, and they just don't understand what had happened. And then verse 10 says, And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? We need to seek peace with this king we have rejected now that everything's fallen apart. And verse 11, David takes the initiative. Don't we have a Savior who takes the initiative? And King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar the priest, saying, 
Speak unto the elders of Judah, those very same ones who betrayed me, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Seeing the speech of all Israel is come to the king, even to his house. You are my brethren. You are my bones and my flesh. Where, therefore, are ye the last to bring back the king? And say ye to Amasa, Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God, do so to me, and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. And he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah even as the heart of one man, so that they sent his word, this word on the king, Return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go meet the king and to conduct him over the Jordan River. So here we have these men who had fallen in with Absalom. They didn't go to battle. They survived. They they're in Jerusalem. They just don't know what to do. They know they could be facing retribution. They knew that they could be tried and found guilty of treason. But David took the initiative. And he says, why don't you receive me? I'm coming back. Why don't you receive me? Many others have. You're holding out. I will not be harsh with you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you something. And remember, Joab had murdered Absalom. Joab had disobeyed order upon order upon order from David. When Absalom came into Jerusalem, he looked at this young man, Amasa. We, we've seen him before, and he says, Amasa, you are going to be captain of my army. And Amasa is a terrible commander. 20,000 of his men were killed. His leader was killed. He lost the battle. Amasa is not a great commander. We're going to see this in weeks to come too. But he's not a good commander. But as a gesture of grace and kindness, David says, I'm getting rid of Joab, which we all agree he needed to do. And I'm putting Amasa as captain. And it's a gesture of grace, and it's a gesture of mercy, and it's a gesture of kindness to the men of Jerusalem. And they saw it. And the Bible says they acknowledged it and they all bowed their hearts. Don't we have a king who's coming back who could easily and justly judge us with harshness, but yet he has extended grace and kindness to us day by day. You don't believe that? You're breathing, aren't you? You're not in hell, are you? We have a king who's coming back who extends his grace and kindness to us. But yet many don't bow down like the men of Judah did and receive their king. And then we see somebody else that's real interesting. This guy's not from Judah. He, he's a Benjamite. Look at verse 16. So David is coming along. He's, he's going to cross over Jordan. He's going to Jerusalem. And Shemai, does anybody remember him? Shammai was the one that was, uh, was in Saul's, uh, was a Benjamite, like Saul was. A kinfolk of Saul. And when David was fleeing Absalom, Shammai was the one who stood on the hillside and started cussing him. Remember that? Hollering cuss words. I don't know what the cuss words were. You'll have to ask some deacon or something. I don't know. But he started cussing him and, and, and started throwing rocks at him. Remember that? And Abishai, Joab's brother who's with David, Abishai says, David, let me go up there and cut his head off. And, I, and David says, what am I going to do with you? No, no, we're not going to kill him. Let, let, let him go. Well, now... He knows that the rebellion's over, and he shows up. But look what he does. This is fascinating to me. Look what he does. We see here in verse 
16, and Shemai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was a Bahurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. He brought a thousand with him. And Ziba, remember him, we'll talk about him in a few minutes. The servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. And, and there went out over a ferry boat to carry the king's household and do what he thought good. And Shammai, that rock-throwing cusser, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan and said unto the king, Let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me, and neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the king went out from Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered him and said, Shall not Shammai be cut to death, put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And David said it again, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. Therefore the king said unto Shammai, Thou shalt not die. And the king swore unto him. So this rock-throwing cusser comes and falls down before the king. And I want you to notice the two things. He asked of the returning king. And I pray in you, you've asked the returning Jesus these two things. He says, forgive my sin, verse 19. He says, do not impute that to me. Do not hold that against me. Forgive my sin. Forgive me. Don't hold a grudge against me. And then he said, please forget my sin. Don't remember the rocks that hit you. Don't remember the profane curse words that came into your ears. Don't remember these things. You see, this was a man beseeching God, the king, to forget his sin. We just sang it a while ago. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who forgets our sin? And David said, you shall not die. I will forgive you. I will forget your sin. And then there's a church member off to the side named Abishai who says, we ought to put him to the sword. And David says, why are you against me? You don't have the same purpose as I do. I didn't come to condemn sinners. I came to save sinners. I came to forgive them. Now, I must hasten to say that we're going to see when David is dying, he does remember Shammai's sin. And he tells Solomon, his son, who's about to become king, he says, Solomon, you need to deal with Joab and be careful about Shammai. Be suspicious of Shammai. And, and he's the one, remember, you were a little boy. You were nine years old when he was throwing rocks at us and cussing. Oh, yeah, Daddy, I remember him. Well, you be careful with him. And people say, well, how in the world does that show us Christ? Well, it doesn't. It shows us David. David was human. David, David had the capacity to hold a grudge, even though he had forgiven something. David was human. But I'm glad David's greater son, not, not David's lineage son, but David's greater son, Jesus, he forgives and casts it as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way. And he puts it into the sea, and he will not remember our sin. That's our Savior. Isn't that wonderful? But Shammai said something to David, I think, that struck a nerve. I think it just 
penetrated David's heart. He looked at David and said, I have sinned. And I can imagine just then, as David is is about to cross over Jordan and take the throne, David remembered what started it all. He remembered why Absalom hated him so much. He remembered why the sword had taken his sons away. He remembered why there was so much tragedy and bloodshed in his family. Because way back yonder, some ten years before, he had stood on his balcony and saw a woman bathing and lusted and committed adultery with her and committed murder to cover it up. And then one day an old preacher by the name of Nathan the prophet comes in and says, let me tell you a story about a man who had taken a little lamb. And David said, that man will die tonight. And Nathan said, thou art the man. And David said, I have sinned. And when Shimei told him 10 years later, David, I have sinned. Old David said, it would be a sin upon sin for me not to forgive rocks and cuss words when I have sinned in a greater capacity than that. You see, we don't forgive for our sake. We give, forgive for Christ's sake. Let me ask you something, folks. Church member or not, do you hold a grudge against somebody? You're in sin. Not because of the sin that they have done against you, but because of the sin you hold against them. Unforgiveness. And David forgave him. David forgave him. So there's the people who received forgiveness. You can receive forgiveness when God will forget your sin in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Regardless of your sin. Then in verse 24 through 30, we see somebody else. We not only see the, men, the people who received forgiveness, but we see the man who remained faithful. Look at verse 24. So he's traveling along. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said unto him, Mephibosheth, why didn't you leave with me when I fled Absalom? Why why, why did you stay behind and not come with me? And Mephibosheth answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he has slandered thy servant unto my lord, the king. But my lord, the king, is an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in your eyes. I put myself in your hands, king. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at your own table? What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of the matter? I have said thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take it all. For as much as my lord the king has come again in peace unto his own house. If you remember, Mephibosheth shows up in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. He is Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. By normal, by normal um, custom, he would have been wiped out, would have been executed, just like the rest of Saul's family who should have been. But he wasn't because David was gracious. And one day David says, I want to show kindness to someone in the house of Saul. And they said, well... We know of one named Mephibosheth, and he is lame in his feet. 
Because Saul, his grandfather, and father Jonathan were killed in battle when he was five years old. And his nurse grabbed him up, picked him up to run, and she fell. And he's crippled in both his feet. And he's way out there in, in, in the middle of nowhere. And we just uh, we, uh, need to go get him and bring him in. And this young man comes and David embraces him and, and receives him into fellowship. It is one of the most wonderful stories of reconciliation and peace and redemption. And it's a wonderful picture of Christ. And he eats at David's table. And Mephibosheth has this servant by the name of Ziba who has all these sons and all of these servants of him, for himself. And he tells Ziba, you and your sons will serve Mephibosheth for the rest of his life. And Ziba says, yes, sir. And they're serving. Well, fast forward all these years and all of a sudden Absalom is trying to take the throne and David flees and Ziba shows up on the run with donkeys saddled uh, with loaded with all kinds of fruit and goods and everything David might need and David says to Ziba where is Mephibosheth and remember you might remember Ziba says oh king Mephibosheth said I'm going to take this opportunity because I might be able to be king now. Maybe, maybe something will work out where I can reclaim for my family the throne. And so Ziba basically lies to David about this young man, Mephibosheth. Don't we have somebody who lies about us? Now y'all are looking at, at each other. I'm talking about the father of lies. Uh, and, and don't we have somebody who, who, who mischaracterizes us before the king and lies about us? Well, once again, David is human and he doesn't know the difference and he doesn't know if that's true or not. So he looks at Ziba and he says, okay, Ziba, everything I gave to Mephibosheth is now yours. And I'll deal with Mephibosheth when we get back. Ziba smiles real big and says, I got it, I'm wealthy now. Well, now they come back, and there's some exposure going on. You know, when the king returns, there's going to be a lot of things exposed. Amen. He, he gonna, we're going to know then. And Mephibosheth comes out. And Mephibosheth says, uh, King, we're glad you're back. And King says, Mephibosheth, why didn't you join me? I'm confronting you right now. And Mephibosheth says, O king, my servant lied about me. He deceived you. He lied about me and said I was a traitor and I'm not. I stayed in Jerusalem because I was lame and he wouldn't help me. He wouldn't bring me with you. Now we know that Ziba lied. And David says, everything I gave to you, I took it from you and gave it to him. And then David says, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Y'all just half it all. All that land, Mephibosheth, that I gave to you, you half it with Ziba. I'm going to be gracious to Ziba. I'm going to show a little mercy and so everything that I've given to you and then switched to him is now cut in half. And um, I think David did that because he's very wise. Ziba doesn't say much. But Mephibosheth says, let him have it all. Let him have it all. King, all I really want is you. That's all I want. And so David now knows the truth of the matter. Isn't that something? You know, it's as if he says, hey, uh, it's all going to burn up any day. You know, king, one day it's all going to burn up and it's not going to matter much. All I want is you, David. Friend, I want to tell you something. We, we need to look up and look what's going on around in our world Jesus is about to come back. It's all going to burn up. I hope all you want is the king. Yeah. 
Because that's all you're going to have. Amen. You're going to have him in grace or judgment. I hope you have him in grace. Because that's all that's going to be left is your, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ one day. All them houses, them cars, all of it's going to burn up one day. Your 401k, it's going to be a zero, zero K. It's not even going to have a letter of the alphabet. It's gone. And all you're going to have is what Jesus has done for you. Now let me give you another little insight into this. A couple of, couple of things. Remember there's about a nine-year-old little boy named Solomon. David knows he's the one to become king. David knows he's the one who's going to build the temple. And, and Solomon is watching all of this. And Solomon's going to grow up and become king, and he's going to write some wonderful books. He's going to write the Song of Solomon. He, he's going to write Ecclesiastes. He's going to write the book of Proverbs. And he's going to give us a lot under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But one day Solomon's going to be in his, in, his, in his judgment's chair. And two women are going to come to him. Two prostitutes are going to come in. And they're going to have one baby. Remember this? And, and he's going to say, he's going to say, what's your problem? He said, well, that's my baby. And this one had a baby. And I had a baby. And one of the babies died in the night. And when I got up the next morning, my baby was in her arms. And she's claiming it's hers. And uh, Solomon says, so what do y'all want me to do? And the two ladies say, well, you judge over whose baby it is. And what does Solomon say? Cut it in half. And the true mother says, she can have it all. Don't you think he might have learned that when he was a nine-year-old boy by this conversation between Mephibosheth and David? Boy, what we teach our children. Isn't that amazing? And what they pick up on. One more thing about Mephibosheth. Look at verse uh, 24. When, when, when he comes to the king, as the king's coming and he, he, he comes to the king, notice what it says. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. You would think he's about to go meet the king that he would wear a dark blue jacket and a blue shirt and, you know, clean up, put some aqua velvet on, do something. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Here we see somebody who is really ready to meet the king. Old David was out there in the wilderness. In that palace, I imagine he had all kinds of bathtubs. I imagine in that palace he had a barber shop. He'd go to that barber shop every day and they'd give him a shave. I imagine he had people bringing out his clothes, shining his shoes, laying out his clothes for him. You know, you know, guys, just like you do at home. But now he's fleeing from Absalom. He's sleeping in the dirt. He's hiding in caves. There is no barber to shave him every day. He might not even have shoes. He's wore out. He's got saddle sores all over. He's grimy. He's dirty. There, there wasn't no degree to put on. And Mephibosheth says, as long as my king is living like that, I'm going to live like him. And Mephibosheth was saying, I'm going to be just like David. And when he returns, I can be just like David. You know what? If you're ready for the king, you're striving to be like Jesus while he's away. Amen. You're striving to be just like our Savior while he's away. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that's what a Christian does. Because we are conformed to the image of his son. You're predestined for it. Dear Christian, you might have had a choice to become a Christian, but you don't have a choice with what your Christianity is going to do for you. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And Mephibosheth says, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to strive to be like David. 
He can't wash up, I'm not going to wash up. He can't put shoes on, I'm not going to put shoes on. He can't dress up, I'm not going to dress up. Folks, we're going to strive to be like Jesus. We're going to live like Jesus in action and attitude. And so that's the lessons we learn from Mephibosheth as the king is coming. But there's, there's two more. Let me give you this one. Now this one, I like this one. Because it reminds me of, of something. Verse 31. The Bible says, I'm sorry, verse 31. That's right. I'm right. And Barzillai, the Gilead, the Gileadite, came down from Bojellum and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old, 80 years old. And he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay in Mahatnaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me. And I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said unto the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem? I am this day four score years old. And can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto my lord the king. Thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king, just, just a little way, and why should the king recompense me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in my own city and be buried by the grave of my father and of my mother. But behold, thy servant Kimham, let him go over with my lord the king and do to him what shall seem good unto thee. This was a man, this Barzillai, who was very, very faithful. When David was fleeing Absalom, he he didn't have any supplies. He had to leave in a hurry. And God provided. You might remember that message from chapter 16. And Barzillai was one that God used in a great way to provide sustenance for David. This this Barzillai is a wonderful man. As a matter of fact, I want you to go to verse uh, to chapter seventeen rather, and look at verse um, twenty-seven with me. I want to show you something that just I, I hope will encourage you and bless your heart. Chapter 17, verse 27, and and remember, David is on, he's fleeing Absalom, he's afraid for his life, he's destitute, and it came to pass when David came to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son of Amiel, of Lodabar, and Barzillai, Barzillai, or Barzillai, the Gilead, that's the same guy. This is what Barzillai and his entourage brought to David. They brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David and for the people that were with him to eat. Barzillai bought all those supplies. Now I want you to notice John Phillips, the great commentator, said this was Barzillai at his excellence. And he's bringing all these things to David. You know what? God blesses and remembers our giving. And he remembers our efforts for his work. Did you notice all of that stuff? There's a little word very prominent in verses 28 and 29. A-N-D. The King James catches it. In the Hebrew, it is the va consecutive. In the Greek, it's the chi, and. 
I don't know if other translations catch it, but the King James Version is masterful when it catches it. And it's often found in Scripture. One and after another. And, 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 and. I have taught this before. This is what we call a polysyndeton. So tomorrow morning at breakfast, impress somebody who wasn't here today. Say, have you noticed all the polysyndetons in the Old Testament? You know, when the king comes back and we stand before him, he's not going to look at us and say, oh, by the way, Jay, or by the way, Glenn Lowry, or John Tennyson, thank you for all you've done. No, 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 no. He's going to say, my son, my daughter, thank you for this and for this and for this and for that. And for this, and for this, and for this, and for that, and for that, and for that. He's not going to forget a thing you've done for him. Amen. His reward is rich. And you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. All these things. Yeah, I did all those things. And and I did my best for you, Lord, all these things. But what about my sin? What are you talking about your sin? I'm talking about this, and that, and this, and that, and this, and that. Isn't it wonderful to be in Christ Jesus? Amen. And so those were the days of its excellence. But now go back to our text in chapter 19, and we got a little problem. This is the man who refused to finish. Barzillai is the man who refused to finish. He has been so faithful in his excellence. But now we come to what John Phillips called his excuses. David says, Barzillai, won't you come across with me? Go to Jerusalem with me and sit at my table. And the old faithful man all of a sudden starts to back off. He he starts out good, but he doesn't finish well. And he starts to give some excuses for not going. First of all, he he talks about his age. He says, I'm 80 years old. Well, David didn't think he was too old. If David thought he was too old, he wouldn't have invited him. He wouldn't have said, come on, come on, keep going, Barzillai, keep going with me. No, David didn't think he was too old. Now, senior adults, young adults, don't think I'm just preaching to senior adults. Let me tell you something. In the modern church... Age is always an excuse. The senior adults say, I'm too broken. The young adults say, I'm too busy. Amen, that's good preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. But old old Barzillai says, I'm too old. He gave his age as an excuse. And then he gave his abilities as an excuse. He says, "Uh, do I even know right from wrong? You see... Let me tell you what David wanted Barzillai for at his table. He wanted to fellowship with him. He wanted to reward him for all the benefits and all the blessings he had been to him. But there's one more thing. In the Absalom rebellion, David had lost one of his major chief counselors named Ahithophel. Remember? He's the man who killed himself. And he sees Barzillai, this great man who who has great wisdom. And great potential. And he says, I need you to sit at my table and be one of my advisors. And he says, I don't, I don't know right from wrong. I, I, I just don't, don't have it. And he used his abilities. Well, David thought he was good enough. And then his appetite. He says, I can't taste and I can't hear. I won't be able to enjoy your house anymore. I just won't be able to enjoy it. I can't enjoy service to the king anymore. No, no, king, I've I've done enough. And then in verse 37, the excuses give way to a reason. Did you know there's such thing as excuses, but there's always a reason. There's a huge difference, amen? Don't you wish people would be honest with you and just give you the reason? Hey, we want you to go out to eat with us tonight. 
Oh, we've got, we've got this, we've got that. We, why don't you just tell us you don't like us and don't want to go? <laughs> Amen. I don't want to be around you. That's the reason. Well, Barzillai gives the reason. He says, oh, I'm in my comfort zone where I'm at now, David. I, I'm on, I, I just want to go sit back in my recliner and die there so I can be buried next to my mom and daddy. And I'm in my rut. I want to stay there. I'm in my comfort zone. I don't want to advance anymore in my walk with you or my fellowship with you or my duties for you. I'm just where I'm at, King David. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you anyway. Man, I'll live out my days. That's what I want to do. I've served my time. Lord, remember, David, all that stuff I've given you. I've, I've, I've served my time. I've paid my dues. Now, now, I want to do something because uh, I, I want to be very honest and I want to, um, I want to say something and I really believe this. I'm very thankful for the senior adults in our church family. You know, most of our senior adults, they just keep on adding ands to their list. I love our senior adults. I'm faithful. They're, they're faithful. They're kind. They're encouraging. They're gracious. You need to give our senior adults a hand. Amen. God bless them. I'm thankful. You know, I, uh, I talk to these skinny jean preachers, okay, the, the younger generation, and uh, they, um, Brother Charlie, they don't like their senior adults, and they say, boy, I can't, you know, I can't get them to do this, I can't get them to do that, and you know, my question is, who are you to try to get them to do anything? That's the Lord's business. Amen? And I say, my senior adults do what they can, when they can, and how they can for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? When I first moved here, uh, when I was younger, um, there was a man in our church, a, fam a couple in our church, senior adult couple in our church. And I went to uh, visit him. He had cancer. And you might remember, his name was Arthur Ray Spears. And I went to see Arthur Ray. First time I went to visit him. And sat on his back porch with him. I hadn't been here long. And that gentleman began to weep. And he said, I want to apologize to you. And I said, Brother Spears, you don't owe me an apology. I don't even know. I, this is my first time to meet you. What have you ever done? I thought he voted no or something, you know. <laughs> but you know what? He said, I can't do what I used to do. And then he said, but I'll tell you what I can do. And he started talking about praying for First Baptist and praying for me and encouraging. wanting Back then it was cassette tapes or CDs or something to, to listen to preaching and be involved in the worship service. And he talked to me about how he could pray. And I walked away saying, now that is how I want to be when I'm a senior adult. Amen? I love our senior adults, and I'm appreciative of them. Amen? And uh, there's three of them, or six of them, six of them I want to highlight today. And they're at a season of life where they may not be able to be here. But I want to tell you what, every time I talk to them, without exception for the last 23 years, every time, I call to encourage them, they encourage me. Every time I call to want to give them something, they give to me. And they do what they can, when they can, and how they can, and I'm grateful for them, and I love them. We don't have many bars of lies in our church. Amen? And I, I'm talking about um, David and Nancy Usefridge. This month, married... 59 years. Amen. This month. 
David and Nancy are always encouraged. They keep on adding those ands to that list. They're going to, they, 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 they finish, they're going to finish well. Mac and Imogene Worth, this month, 67 years. Amen. 67 years. Isn't that wonderful? Always encouraging. Old Mac gets up every morning and says, good morning, Lord. And uh, I get a text every Sunday from Mac. Just one word text. I get it around, you know, sometimes during lunch, sometimes after lunch. And you know what it says? It says, amen. <laughs> and then Arnold and Sue Hoven. 71 years of marriage this month. Amen. <laughs> Can you believe that? Wonderful. Sue's, I'm the only pastor I know of in the state of Mississippi who has a personal poet. And Arnold always gives me marriage counseling, and he says, you better listen to that redhead. That's what he said. <laughs> but I want to tell you what, they're not bars of lies. They, they're keeping on adding ands to that list. They sit at the king's table. And they're sweet and they're precious and they're encouraging and they do what they can, when they can, how they can, where they can for the Lord Jesus. Amen. You may not be able to do what you once did, but I want to tell you what, you're still here. There's something you can do for Jesus. Do it. Do it. Amen. Before I move on, let me tell you something about Arthur Ray Spear. One of the old timers told me that when they were cleaning up um, Freedom Field to make the first football field here in Ocean Springs, one of our senior adults who's with the Lord now, Larry Williams, was the quarterback back then. And the old timers told me, they said, Arthur Ray Spears was one of the guys who came and cleaned it up. And they said, we'd have to tie a rope to a tall pine tree at the top. And he said, we kept wondering how we were getting there. And he said, Arthur Ray Spears would take off running, and he would hit that tree, Bubba Jones, and he'd shimmy up that tree like a monkey and tie that rope down come back down. I tried that, never. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. When I met him, he couldn't do that anymore. You know, we, we, there's things we can't do anymore. But we do other things for the Lord. We do other things for the Lord. And while I'm on this subject, I'm going to say this. I get asked a question all the time. When I go see a family and... Their beloved, aged uh, loved one is not able to talk. Maybe Alzheimer has come, and they're just not what they used to be at all, and, and they're awaiting death. And they ask me. This is a question I get asked often. Why doesn't God take mama or grandma? Why doesn't God just take them? And they're really sincere about it. Well, the first time I was asked that question, I was a young whippersnapper of a pastor. And didn't have as much sense as I have now. But through the years, I've learned this. By watching many of you, I've learned this. They're still here for the same reason they were here. When they were in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. They're still here for the same reason they were here when they were able to work in vacation Bible school. And that's to show forth the glory of God in Christ Jesus. How? By you honoring your mother and father and grandfather and grandmother by caring for them. You show the world what it means to care for them and have the hope of Christ that a better day is coming. Amen. We don't have many bars of lies in our church. I want to tell you, our senior adults, they're going to finish well. Amen. They're going to finish well. I love them. Don't you love them? Amen. Amen. Now there's one more point. One more person, and that's the man who was rewarded for his fellowship. 
If you look at uh, the next few verses, verse 37 through 40, old Barzillai, he's one who didn't finish well, but, but he did say, the young man Kimham, king, take him instead of me. Let me say this to senior don'ts. Don't let these young people steal your reward. Amen. You go on and sit at the king's table and keep on going. Don't let them steal your reward. God's got a reward for them. You keep yours. Amen. Don't, don't, don't let them steal it. Don't give it away to them. But old Kimham, he goes on across. Young man. More than likely, he is Barzillai's son. And, and I'll show you one day why we say that. But Kimham is his name. And he goes across with the king and he sits at the king's table. As a matter of fact, the text is very particular about telling us Kim Ham was one that sat at the king's table. He fellowshiped with the king. He, he abided with King David. Just like we need to abide with Christ. He abided with King David, served the king. Now I want you to picture something. One day, they're sitting at that wonderful table eating. It's a wonderful meal. And David says, Kim Ham, I, I inherited from my daddy, who inherited it from his daddy, and on and on, a family farm, a farm. And um, I'm king of a vast domain now. I don't need that family farm anymore. You've been so wonderful, and you've fellowshiped with me, and you've served me so well, um, I want to give you that family farm. Well, Kimham says, well, where is this family farm? And David says, well, it's just it's in Bethlehem. As a boy, I used to keep sheep out there. Do you want it? And Kimham says, yeah, I'll take it. And David gives him the family farm. 400 years later. 400 years later. Kimham's in glory. The Babylonians have conquered Jerusalem. They're carrying people away captive. It's a terrible time. Some people forcibly take the prophet Jeremiah and say, we got to get out of here. And Jeremiah says, no, we need to stay. He says, no, we got to get out of here. And they take Jeremiah and they take him to Egypt. And on the way to Egypt, Jeremiah chapter 41 and verse 17 says, they stopped off at the inn of Kimham in Bethlehem. So Kimham took that family farm that God, that David gave him and turned it into a hotel. All right? A hotel. An inn. Isn't that remarkable? He used what the king gave him. Boy, we need to use our blessings, amen, to bless others. That's 400-something years later. And then fast forward across some centuries. And way up there in glory, the second person of the Godhead hears the Father say, My son, the fullness of time has come. It's time to go. And Jesus stands up from his throne in glory. He walks past all that host of angels. And he walks up to Kim Ham. And he says, Kim Ham, I'm going down there now. For nine months, I'm going to be tabernacled in a virgin's womb. And we're going to try to take my first breath of humanity in your inn in Bethlehem. Now, we know the rest of the story. But don't you think old Kim Ham sure was honored at the reward that the Son of God at least wanted to be born in his hotel in Bethlehem? Amen? God is going to reward you for your faithfulness, but you've got to go all the way. You don't need to say, like Bezalel, I'm just going to hold back right now. No, you've got to go all the way. Fellowship him with him all the way. Go all the way. You see, there's a tragic word in the English language. It's tragic for the spiritual life. It's the word almost. 
There's some people in this room, you're almost ready to be saved. You're almost ready to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. You're almost ready, but you're holding back. You're holding back. Let me tell you something. One day, God is not going to hold back His judgment. Today's the day of salvation. You need to be saved today while you still have the unction from the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. You need to be saved. Not almost, but all the way saved. I want to invite you to come forward today and you can give your life to Jesus and be saved. But there's another way to apply that word almost, and that's for the believer. You're almost ready to say, well, I've served my dues. I've done my duty. I'm over with. I'm done. Oh, don't be an almost finished Christian. Let God say when you're finished. Amen. When you're in glory. Don't quit. Finish well. Be forgiven. Have your sins forgotten. The King is coming. Let's stand for our song of appeal.